I'm in my zone. I'm in my zone. Breaking them as they come. Who crowned that number one? Welcome to In The Zone. I am your host, Chris Broussard, and we're excited about the NBA Draft Thursday night. So to talk about it, I brought in Aaron Torres. Good to have you here, brother. Thank you. He is a longtime college basketball writer, been covering college ball for eight years, knows the high school, the AAU scene, all of that, knows the draft, worked for Sports Illustrated, wrote for Slam, uh, and now we're happy to have him here with FoxSports.com. So let's get right to it. Yes. I'm, I'm, you're an expert. All right. All right? Lay it on me. What I've heard from a lot of people who is the best player in this draft. The best player. Okay, so... Best has so many Don't different couches. Okay, 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 okay. You in the zone. Okay, all right. All right, <laughs> all right so the guy, and, and I am on an island on this one, the guy that I think has the best chance to be a superstar okay. is Jason Tatum. The guy that I think has the least bust potential and is probably the best today is Markel Fultz. So okay. Fultz, you know, Fultz is the obvious default. I have kind of concerns with him about all the stuff that everyone's been talking about over the last couple weeks, you know, how much of Washington's season, they they go 9-22, and how much of that is on his shoulders. I understand he's only one player. I understand they lost two first-rounders last year that they were expecting to have this year, Marquise Chris and DeJounte Murray. But at the same time, it's something I've said on every outlet I've been on is, you know, at a certain point, if you're the number one pick, if you're the guy, if you are the unquestioned best player in college basketball, you got to look yourself in the mirror and say, I'm done losing, man, you know? And, and that's been my I concern like with him. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. And, I, again, talking to most people around the NBA, I've heard Markel Fultz is the best player from most of the people sure. I've talked to. and But some have brought up the concerns that you have, and, and I have them too. Sure. Because I'm sorry, like, talking to people up in Washington, what do they, like, why do they say, I know they didn't have great talent around yep. him, but 9-22, and 22, 13 yes. straight losses. I know he sat out some of the exactly, games at the yeah. end, but what do they, how do people explain it away? How do defenders of Markel Fultz explain it away? Well, I think they, they say what you just said, is that the talent around him wasn't great. Um, you know, coaching-wise, Lorenzo Romar was fired at the end of the year. So, obviously, if you watched you him, think the coaching yeah, the up. coaching wasn't up to par. And, like, it's kind of the same argument that people have with Dennis Smith. Dennis Smith, his coach got fired. There was some bad body language. My thing with Dennis Smith is, this is what I always say about Dennis Smith, for at least one night, he showed me he could be the guy, right? So, so for people who don't know, NC State went to Duke. Duke was a top five team, top ten team at the time, whatever they were. Have all these these stars, Jason Tatum, as we talked about, Luke Kennard, Harry Giles, and Dennis Smith was the guy that night. I mean, I mean, it was like a 30-point, eight-board, six assists, we're winning this game tonight kind of performance. Okay. And so, like, for at least one night, I saw that with Dennis Smith, and I just never saw that with Markell. Now, again, Not one night. Never. It, it was unbelievable. Yeah, and I mean, you would see flashes. You would see it for a play. You would see it for, you know, three or four plays over the course of a half, but it just was never there for the entire game. And again, the people at Washington will say the town around him wasn't great. They'll say that, you know, he only is responsible for as much as he can. My other thing with him, too, is that a lot of times his stats came kind of in meaningless moments, you know, like, like, I've heard that too. yeah, so like, so like, there was one game this year where he played head to head against Lonzo Ball in UCLA. So they were scheduled twice, but he was hurt for the second game. In the first game, 
uh, he played. And so it was this big hyped game, It was, it, but it was on a late Saturday night, so a lot of people didn't see it. Okay. If you just looked at the box score the next day, you'd be like, eh, these two guys, they played to a draw, Lonzo had better talent, whatever. If you actually watched that game, I, you know, it was in Washington, so I was here in L.A. watching from home. But Lonzo came out, and it felt like he understood the moment. He understood okay. how important this was. And he was flying around. He blocked one of Markel's, one of Markel's shots early in the game, just kind of came out of nowhere, swatted it. He was throwing no-look passes and Fultz is kind of just doing the thing he's dancing around he's passing you know he's it, there just was no energy there was mm. no it it, di- it didn't feel like he realized how big the game was and so look if you're talking about like I said the, the most skilled player right now the most complete player right now and I think a, a point a lot of people bring up which I think is fair is the quote-unquote least bust potential yeah Fultz is the guy he's gonna be solid yes. he's gonna be at least a solid at, at least a saying? solid okay. yeah and he can certainly get to that all-star level and I think my whole thing throughout this process was one there was a narrative that he was by far the best player and I never I never personally believed that and I also think that I kind of looked at it throughout the draft prospect process of generally when a team is picking number one overall you're hoping to get a superstar no question question. and so I think so I think the way it worked out for Markel Fultz I think it's going to be great I think he'll be great in Philly alongside Ben Simmons I just never saw him as that guy that's interesting um low motor It, it sounds like what you're saying yeah, it's just, and it, it, it's not even like maybe part of it is the game comes really easy to him. It, but but at the same time, yeah, I do think that is a fair question, and and it's not even necessarily a low <clears throat> motor as much as it is he just never elevated his game in those big moments. And okay. again, I'm not saying you have to put up 45 point, you know, like like but but like I I All just 25 point games aren't created either. exactly yeah. exactly no, and the, and there are guys even at the NBA level who can get their 23 24 yeah. 25 that just it's not the same value of a you know I can't think of anybody off the top of my head no, I know but you're you saying, know you though. know what I mean yeah, and yeah. so that's always been my problem with him is just I don't know if he understands I, I he understands but but just just the importance that if you're the best guy on the court sometimes like you just got to be the guy, you know. You've watched these guys for years, even before they got to college. Mm-hmm. Now, I, his high school team wasn't even great. Yep. Right, and you—they were good, but a talent like that, you would expect at least your high school team to be dominant. Yeah, and and part of it too is, and I don't think this is necessarily talked about enough. Uh, you know, there's a narrative about Markell. I think people people hear and they kind of misunderstand it is that. He didn't play varsity basketball yeah, until his junior year. But it wasn't about his skill set. It was just he was small. He was like 5'9 when he was a sophomore, and he had a growth spurt. And so, like, you know, uh, I've talked to his high school coach. I've heard him interviewed in other places where he said, like, I wanted to put him on the varsity. He was just not physically ready. Okay, okay. But I also wonder if maybe that's the thing where because he was a late bloomer, he just maybe doesn't consciously realize like okay He's I'm the, the guy now okay. you know whereas Lonzo love or hate LeVar who I know has sat in this seat a few times like LeVar has hammered that into Lonzo's head since he was pr- probably even before high school like you've got to be the guy you're the point guard you've got to take over you've got to be a star and I just wonder with Markel because he had such a unique kind of path into basketball if that's part of it that's too. interesting that's interesting and we'll, we will obviously get to Lonzo sure and get more into Dennis Smith as well going forward another it, look Markel is going to Philly mm-hmm. didn't win in college Ben Simmons who yes. I love yes he didn't win in college okay now what I'm told is that the situation at LSU was a lot more volatile. There were teammates that were jealous of him. Yes. and You know, it was just a messed up situation off the court, mm-hmm. and that affected Ben's play or their ability to win. 
what do you, you know, do you see a difference between Fultz not winning and Simmons not winning in college? Yeah, I do. And it's funny because when all of this started, I went back and made sure all my facts were correct on this. Ben Simmons, at one point in the year at LSU, his team was 19 and yep. 9 and firmly in the NCAA tournament. And people want it, you know, it's an easy, lazy comparison to make. Ben Simmons had that team playing about as well as they could. And I felt like he was impacting every game, uh, playing up to his potential. I mean, I forget the stat, but it was something like at one point he was averaging like 19, 11, and 6. Yeah, and no, like, like no player in college, like as far back as they tracked college stats, like Ben Simmons was putting up stats, nobody did. And so, yeah, I, I think my understanding of the situation was, you know, I, I think it became toxic very quickly down there. Obviously, in hindsight, we now know that the Showtime cameras were down there. There was a documentary. And yeah, there were a lot of guys. I mean, look, and I'm not saying that this guy specifically, but, you know, Tim Quarterman was drafted last year, and he was on that roster. I'm sure, I'm not saying it was him, but I'm sure he felt some kind of like, were the cameras for me, you know? Antonio Blakeney was a McDonald's All-American. And again, I'm not pointing fingers, but I'm just saying, I did get that sense. And the other thing, too, which I don't think is talked about enough with Ben Simmons is I just don't think that the coaching staff down there at that time knew how to handle that circus and so all the stuff that came out about he stopped going to class this and that you know and this kind of goes back to 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 the Adam Silver one and done comments is Kentucky got to go to class like like it's no joke and like when Calipari sits down on the couch like you and I are right now he says look if you're not coming here to finish this semester we're going to help you we're going to do everything we can to get you to the NBA you got to do us the favor finish classes, don't leave us in a bind because the NCAA does track that stuff. And so I just I say all that to say that I just don't think that they were ready for the circus round. And I don't think the coaching staff knew how to handle everything that came with having the projected number one pick. And so, yeah, I do think it was different. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how, how when Ben Simmons gets back on the court, uh, you know, how he handles everything. And I'm sure there's things he would do different. But to me, I've always thought that's kind of an overblown kind of conversation. What's going to be interesting is this rookie year, this yeah. rookie class, because now you got Simmons in that group. I mean, it's going to really be exciting to see yeah. who's the rookie of the year. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you would think Simmons has a leg up just because he's oh, a yeah. year older. I love the dude. If, he, if Philadelphia can stay healthy, I love him. And I love Ben Simmons. But you brought up Jason Tatum. Sure. That's the best guy in the draft, you feel like, or at least the most star potential. Why do you like him so much? Yeah, I, he is an insanely gifted scorer, and I, I don't think people fully got to see it at Duke this year. And I think there was a number of variables. I think, one, he started off slow because he had an injury. I mean, he, he hurt his foot early. It's nothing long-term that any Celtics fan or whoever's going to draft him mm-hmm. should be worried about. But they had chaos. Coach K was out for a month, and they didn't really have a real point guard. And he's the kind of guy, as skilled as he is, He's not great at creating his own offense. Now, he can catch in the block, make a spin, make a move, whatever, and hit that jump shot. But he still needs a point guard um, you know, to help set him up. And so I just look at him, and he can score in so many different ways. And I know I just said that you know he doesn't create a ton of his own offense. But I just think he's a guy that's going to be able to step in, score right away. And I think as his game, as he gets older, as he gets more comfortable, and frankly, as he's a guy who – gets to play basketball 24-7 without having any other distraction, I just think it's going to continue to evolve from there. Wow, interesting. So you're on an island, you admit. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) And I think it's pretty consensus. It's either Lonzo or Markel. And I think that even throughout this process, like I said, I I don't want to say I've flipped on Markel as much as I've kind of come around to see the other side of, okay, okay, maybe – Maybe I'm looking at him through the lens of I want him to be a superstar because he's going to be the number one pick. And maybe, you know, if if his ultimate, you know, end game is 
getting you know 19 a night playing alongside Ben Simmons, that could be really good in the bigger picture. If he's Brandon Roy, yeah, people would take that. Of course, yeah, 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 so, yeah, yeah. I want to ask you about another one of Tatum's teammates quickly, sure. Harry Giles, sure. because. All that I remember him in high school was that he was the top player in the nation. Yes. And obviously, I think people are projecting him as a late first-round pick. I know he had the injuries. But talk to me about him, his upside. You know, was he, you know, have the injuries just taken their toll or was he just overrated in high school? What do you What do you think? Yeah, I don't, I don't think he was overrated. Um, it was actually really funny, probably about three or four weeks ago. I don't know how it happened, but one of his high school mixtapes got, like, tweeted into my Twitter timeline and I just sat there and watched the four minutes of it. And I was like, wow. Oh, like, I forgot. Rushing. Yeah, I forgot how good this guy was. And it was every skill that you would want from a guy that size. He could step out and hit it. He could catch at the top of the key and put it on the floor, take a few dribbles, get to the rim, whatever. And, yeah, I mean, you're talking about three knee surgeries at this point, uh, two ACLs and a, a meniscus tear. And he's just right now athletically not the same player. And I think, you know um, – a lot of people brought this up, and it's a fair point, is right now he's just behind from a basketball perspective of he missed basically two full years of his high school career mm -hmm. recovering from ACLs, including his senior year. And that summer before, he had really um, reemerged, for lack of a better term. There were guys that had caught up to him, okay. and then he had reemerged, and then unfortunately, first game of his senior year, he goes down. And so when he got to Duke, everyone thought, okay, he's a year removed, but then he had to have a meniscus surgery to kind of clean some stuff up. And it wasn't anything that kept him off the court for that long, but it was very clear that when he came back, he just wasn't the same player. He wasn't moving. He had these big knee braces on yeah. and like everyone that I've, like athletes that I've talked to, not even like a doctor or even anybody at Duke, but they're just like, just takes away, if anything, just takes away from your confidence, you know, yeah. of just how you can move and all that kind of stuff. So... Uh, it seems like he's trending back in the right direction, but I think there's a lot of teams that have to be worried about, no question. you know, about that. Status. You think he's making the right choice by coming out? Oh yeah, because I, I still think someone's going to take a chance on him in the first round at some point, because if he can somehow get it together, mm -hmm. and he three four years down the road, you, you know, you have a player that at one point in his career had all star caliber skills, and that's what he was trend you know projecting out to be was an all-star I mean I remember after last year's draft writing a post uh you know for us at foxsports.com and it was like this guy was the unquestioned oh, yeah. guy no question and so but yeah I do because you just you risk injury and this is you know the, the it's funny because all this one and done stuff has come up with Adam Silver and his comments on the herd and everything is that th these guys still the the thing has kind of evolved where I feel like these kids now still get the benefit of the doubt where if you don't have a great year in college somebody's still going to take a chance on you based on what they've seen over that yeah. three, four-year period. I look at Scalabissier last year. Who, You're right. You're I, absolutely right well, about that. I didn't think there was any way he was going in the first round, and he proved me wrong. Yeah. So, And I think it's kind of the same with Giles. Obviously not comparing game or anything, but I just think somebody's going to take a chance on him. And because of that, I think it was the right move. The longer you stay, the yeah. more they scrutinize you. Now, 100%. Harry Giles, if he, I, I do think if he can get in the first round, he made the right move. Yep. As long as he's in the first sure. round because that's guaranteed money. If he were to go back to college and then have another mediocre or disappointing mm -hmm. year, now he may not even get sure. drafted in the first round or or drafted at all going forward. So, I look, I, I think he made the right move. Uh, hopefully it pans out because I heard great things about him yeah. when he was in high school. Well, I was going to say one more thing. I was thinking about this yesterday as I was kind of looking at all the boards and who's moving up and who's moving down. And I was looking at a guy like Ivan Rabb from yeah. Cal who a year ago was projected as a lottery pick. Now, you look at his – he had better teammates last year, 
uh, or two years ago, his freshman year, Jalen Brown is now with the Celtics, yeah. Jordan Matthews, who transferred out to Gonzaga. He put up better stats this year on a worse team, but he's plummeted down draft boards. And you look at a guy like John Collins from Wake Forest, Justin Patton from Creighton, you can't tell me that those guys are better than Ivan Rabb yeah. today, but it's the exact thing you said of he came back and they picked apart his game. I love college basketball, but, man, if, if my son was a, a projected first-round pick, I would tell him to get out as yeah, fast as he could. Nah, no question, no question. All right, you mentioned Lonzo Ball. You know we love couldn't him. go too far without talking about You love him, but he wasn't – you mentioned Jason Tatum and Markel Fultz. So where do you where are you at on Lonzo? I was building the momentum. You know, you, got, you, know, you don't leave with your best stuff. No. Um, I've told you guys, a, a lot of people, so I've seen Lonzo since he was probably a sophomore. I met LeVar – uh, that, you know, probably three years ago, I always joked that the first gym that I ever met LeVar in, there was 100 people. There were definitely no cameras. There was definitely no police escort, but he was the same guy. Hmm. And he was the same loud, boisterous, confident person back then. And so I say all that to to kind of say that, you know, I obviously have a little bit of a personal maybe bias, but I think if even if you take that away is I think Lonzo is just an insanely gifted player all the things that everyone's talking about elevates people's games. You know, people want to pigeonhole Lonzo with, well, UCLA, they had, you know, they had TJ Leaf and they had all these seniors. It's like that team won 15 exactly. games before Lonzo yeah. got there. And yeah. so it, it's easy to kind of, you know, poo poo what he did. But I just think that, I, I just think what he did at UCLA was unbelievable this year. I don't think you can give him enough credit. And I'm not saying that he's going to have an instant impact on any team, whether it be the Lakers or otherwise, but at the same time, you can't take away from it. And I don't think you can put a value on him potentially going to a team like the Lakers who have other young, good pieces around him, which are changing by the minute. And the value that he can have is a guy who doesn't have to come in, doesn't care about his own stats, cares about making everybody else better. I'm totally with you. He's the guy for the Lakers. He's the one they will take. Uh, a lot of the leaks that were coming out about them being disappointed, not that he doesn't have weaknesses, but a lot of that was done, I'm told, to keep LeVar kind of at bay. <laughs> like, let sure. him know, look, we're not just, you know, yeah. at your beck and call. Okay. We're not going to draft him just because you're telling us to. And he's been quiet. Sure. Since maybe this is the longest he's ever been quiet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we haven't heard from him in a few weeks. But I'm with you. I love Lonzo. I think he's just what the doctor ordered yep. with the Lakers in that they have a lot of young talent. And I feel like if you bring in a Markel Fultz or some other greatly talented player, it's just another young guy that needs to get yep. his. And we saw it at, at Washington with Fultz. Mm -hmm. And I'm not down on Fultz. I think he'll be great as the third guy, as a shooter in uh, Philadelphia who can also handle the ball along with Ben Simmons. Uh, but if he were to go to the Lakers – you know, we we haven't seen him elevate his teammates or his team. Yes. You know, he would maybe put up good numbers, but maybe not elevate the team. I think Lonzo will be different. What did you did you talk? Have you talked to many people about his workouts and and what some of the people in the NBA are saying? This you know about yeah Lonzo. about Lonzo. So, I I think you know I've talked to as many people as I can. He only really worked out for one team, yeah, so yeah, it's, yeah. it's hard. <laughs> but you know, I I I believe personally that I think. Some of the stuff about him being out of shape is a little, I think, miscast, right? Because, and I've told a lot of people this, is that knowing LeVar and knowing how they train out in Chino Hills, and LeVar has trained Lonzo and his brothers since they were real young. He's passed the baton off to a guy named Darren Moore, a really sharp okay. guy who played overseas in Europe. But at the end of the day, they're still kind of the old school, train-in-the-backyard kind of people. 
And so there's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, Lonzo was never he wasn't trained throughout this process to look great in a combine setting Mm -hmm. where you bring in Dennis Smith. He has a 48 inch vertical leap like, yeah, Lonzo is going to look bad by comparison. Like De'Aaron Fox has put on a little bit of weight since the beginning of the season. He looks great. The way LeVar and the way that camp is is training Lonzo is to run up and down a basketball court for 48 minutes. And so I just think that that when Lonzo comes in, like so many guys, um, you know, like so many guys just throughout the years, he's just not going to blow you away with those physical attributes. Yep. And oh, by the way, especially in a in a one on none setting, exactly. when his be- when his best attribute is getting others involved. So I thought that that was probably a little bit mis. I don't want to say it was wrong information, but I don't think there was full context there. Uh, and it certainly sounds like that second workout went much better and everybody all around seems much happier as yeah, well. Yeah, I'm not going to say it's commonplace for a guy to be winded in a workout, but I've been told from a lot of NBA guys that it's it's not that uncommon. Mm-hmm. You know, they see it happen, especially a one-on-none. Yes, exactly. Um, and, and you're right, Lonzo wasn't going to look great in that type of situation. Uh, quickly, this is a little bit off the draft, uh, Jello. Sure. All right, he's going to UCLA. <laughs> sure. And I know LeVar says he's one and done and all yeah. that, but he's not a blue chipper, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's not one of the top couple players even no. going to UCLA. What do you expect we're going to see from him next year? Um, it'll be interesting. I mean, the good thing for Jello at this point is that they're going to be a really young team. I mean, they lost – so they had a three-man recruiting class this past year – all three went pro. So yeah. Lonzo, TJ Leaf, E. Canabogu. So they had, and they obviously lost three or four seniors. So there's playing time to be had. There's also a lot of freshmen uh, in this About class. They're six? Seven, it? I think. Seven, I think okay. it ended up being seven. So, like, Jello is what he is. And what I always have been told about Jello from the balls themselves is like, don't compare him to Lonzo. Like, let Jello be his own guy and you'll be impressed. And, and he's much more of a catch-and-shoot guy because when you're playing with the best point guard in the yeah, country yeah, yeah, yeah. in the backyard, like, you don't really have to handle <laughs> the ball. You know, it's, so he's just a different player. And, and like, I think it is important. Like, it's you have to note, like, he's not on the radar of NBA people right now. I know that LeVar likes to think otherwise, and LeVar has publicly said, like, this kid's going to be a one-and-done. I don't know where they'll stand a year from now. But Jello, if you take Jello for who he is, which is a big, strong kid who can catch-and-shoot, um, can occasionally put it on the floor. He's not a great athlete. He's built. He's built like Lavar. He doesn't have that kind of tall, thin frame. Mm-hmm. Um, but for a guy his size and strength, he shoots pretty well. It's interesting. They had a high school American game out here about two or three weeks ago. No, maybe about a month ago now. But I, I went to the practices, and he held his own in a way that okay. I, he being Jello, that I didn't think he would. And, and that's just the reality of it. He's a three-star kid who's ranked, you know, most people not in the top 100. Yep. And and this most of the guys on that floor were top 25, top 30 kids. So will he be a star? No. Will he have the impact that Lonzo had? No. But I think he'll get on the court. I think if, if he gets his shots, he'll make them. Um, but, yeah, I mean, as far as all three of them being one-and-dones and Jello being out the door next year and – it's going to be pretty tough, yeah. <laughs> All right, Dennis Smith. Sure. Blown people, as you said, away with his athleticism. Um, but he the same problem that we saw with Fultz. Now, they were a little bit better, I think 15 and 17 at yeah. NC State. Um, what do you see, you know, why do you think they weren't better and how concerned are you about that with Dennis Smith? Yeah, um, first of all, uh, the coaching just wasn't great. I mean, there's no other way to put it. I mean, Mark Gottfried has had a lot of NBA players come through that program 
um, during his time there. T.J. Warren played there. Cat Barber was ACC Player of the Year. C.J. Leslie, who got a cup of coffee yeah. in the NBA. So they've had NBA players, and they've just never reached their potential. And this isn't to say that I don't like you know that I'm I'm giving him an excuse that I didn't mm-hmm. give Markel Fultz, but like I do feel bad a little bit for Dennis Smith because I talked to him last summer, and I think he really liked the idea of NC State was coming off a disappointing year. I want to be the guy. I want this on my shoulders, and it just didn't work out. And and, and am I making an excuse for him that I'm not for Markel? I don't think so. I mean, you know, he played. First of all, you know, he played really hard. I mean, Markel did too, but it just was chaos from the beginning of the year. And then, by the way, his coach got fired with like a month left yeah, in the season. Yeah. People forget that. And it's kind of hard to, to stay focused and not look ahead when the coach is out the no door, question. you're not playing for the NCAA tournament. Heck, if you made the NIT, they would probably turn down the invitation because they want the coach out of there, you know? Yeah. So every experience I've had around him, and, and the same with Markel, but, but also with Dennis Smith, great kid, wants to win, but was in a bad situation. And, you know, he's one where I feel a little bit more sympathy for because I, I feel like a little bit more was a little bit out of his control. Is there an NBA comparable you would, you know, put on him, like a, a player you compare him to in the league? A lot of people have said Steve Francis, which I think yeah, is fair. That. Yeah, I, he when I first saw him, he reminded me of, like, a young Derrick Rose, like before all the okay. knee surgeries with the okay. explosiveness, the quickness, stuff like that. But, yeah, he is a, a next-level athlete. I'll tell you a crazy story about him. Um, I don't know if I've told anywhere, so this is in the zone exclusive here. <laughs> is So he, had, he tore his ACL two summers ago at Adidas Nations, which is a camp that's yeah. out here in L.A. And so he had a pretty quick recovery. And so I was asking his dad, I said, you know, how close is he to 100? Oh, he's 100%. I said, that was quick. And his dad goes, well, here's what people don't know about Dennis. I guess that a very small segment of the population has a second ligament in their knee, and that allows them to heal from ACL tears faster. One person that has that, Adrian Peterson. Remember how Adrian Peterson came back from an ACL tear in like four months or whatever it was? Really? According to Dennis Smith Sr. That should, that, <laughs> yeah, have you checked this out with doctors? or Doctors, you know doctors can't talk on the record. They can't. They pay patient confidentiality really? stuff. That's what that's what Mr. Smith told me. So, wow. so either way, he looks great. And he looks as explosive, believe it or not, if not more explosive than he did a year ago. Now, part of that's being in a college weight program, all that yeah, stuff. Yeah. But, yeah, he looks awesome. He actually made a very smart decision. People forget this. But during his senior year of high school, he actually – graduated a semester early after he tore his ACL and went to NC State so he could rehab with their oh, with their trainers. Yeah, so he graduated high school a semester early, enrolled in college a semester early. I think that expedited the process and the other, you know, medical stuff that okay. may or may not be. I'm just okay. telling you what Dennis no, Smith Sr. Hey, told me. That's cool. I'll check that out. Yeah? I'll check that out. But I've heard – I actually heard Boston likes him a lot. Yeah. Now, I don't think they take him at three. I don't think. Yeah. Um, but there was talk earlier about them trying to get, like, the 12th pick. I don't know if he'll be there at 12, yeah. but maybe that was in play. But, yeah, a lot of people like Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's interesting to see what he'll be. Um, the one guy, I, I think there's kind of, you know, t- five players that, sure. that people have kind of ahead of everybody. Markel Fultz, Lonzo Ball, Jason Tatum, Josh Jackson, and, and De'Aaron Fox. Sure. Let me ask you about the other two, Jackson and Fox. But first, talk about Jackson because he's a guy getting compared to Jason Tatum a lot. And people, some people, I've talked to a lot of NBA people that like Josh Jackson better than anybody in the draft. 
What are your thoughts about him? Yeah, I think he it's it's kind of comparing Fultz and Ball. Like they basically play the same position, but they're just different players. Tatum is a lot more offensively minded, offensively gifted. Uh, Jackson is certainly, as has been said everywhere, and it's true, the best two-way player mm-hmm. in this draft, and and he's a great defender. I know that uh, you know our colleague Doug Gottlieb has been been banging this drum as far as a guy that's going to come in every practice. He's going to you know be in your you know he's yeah. going to get after you. He's you know Tuesday night in Milwaukee, he's going to get after you. And those are obviously the kind of guys that you need. I also think, by the way, he's probably a better passer than he gets credit he's for. He's a good passer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I like him. I just think that while he's more of a complete – he's probably the most complete player at this point coming into the league, I don't ever think he's going to score enough to kind of reach that all-star super – like, would it surprise me if he made an all-star team or two? No. But I, I just don't see him being that guy that you build the whole franchise around. Okay. If 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 he's the second or third best player on your team and he's you know taking the biggest defensive assignment every night, you guys are golden. If you're tra- if you're drafting him, expecting him to be a superstar, all star mm-hmm. caliber player, just probably not that guy. Okay. Now De'Aaron Fox. Sure. Uh, you mentioned kind of the one on one matchup you saw with Fultz and Lonzo. Obviously, yeah. there were some one on one matchups with Lonzo and De'Aaron, and De'Aaron got the best of him. Sure. Talk to me about De'Aaron and really versus ball and just overall. Yeah, um, you know, the the ball matchup, the second one specifically, I mean, he was awesome. I, I, you could make the case it was the best game anybody played in college basketball all season mm-hmm. long given the stakes and everything like that. Um, you know, some of it is overblown because when you're in a pick and roll, there switches and it's not always yeah, yeah, one on one. Lonzo, you know, su- reportedly had some injuries, but he was awesome that night and he was the better player. And again, they're they're just different players. De'Aaron is certainly the more the quicker guy. I mean, he is you know from end to end is as fast as anybody. I mean, he gets compared to John Wall. Yep. I understand why. Same body frame, all that stuff. He's a little bit more offensively inclined. I mean, he's looking for his, He's a good passer. I mean, I think he averaged about five and a half, six assists a game, which is great at the college level. But, you know, there are those guys that average a lot of assists, but they, they're still, like, looking to get their own first and foremost, and he's kind of that guy, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, everything I've heard, I'm sure you the same. The, the three-point shot is vastly improved. Yeah. I mean, that's been the big thing coming out of everything that I've heard over the last two months or whenever the draft process has started is everybody had concerns about the three-point shot. When I talked to De'Aaron, he said something to the effect of, it's just me being a pro now, me being able to be in the gym as long as I need to get it fixed. But he's been lights out. I know the Kings love him. Um, yeah, some people have told me the Kings have even promised him. Really? That they're taking him at five. Yeah, see, and, and, and I the last that I heard with them was that they really liked him. They weren't totally sure he was going to be available at five, but that was pre-Philly-Boston trade. Mm -hmm. And I think it kind of opens up a clear pathway for him to go to Sacramento. He hasn't worked out for the Suns. Obviously, at this point, he's not going to. I think it's pretty clear his people don't want him to go there and compete with about seven other Kentucky guards for for a starting (laughs) spot. They they don't need guards. Yeah, so it feels like it opens up a pathway. And the one thing I'll say about him is, you know, he was here on the lot a few weeks ago, here at Fox Lot, and I talked to him. He seems excited about the possibility of going to Sacramento, which is not what very many prospects over the last couple years yeah. uh, have have really expressed. You know, um, he likes the I think he likes the idea of there's really no hierarchy there. You know, there's no 
you know, have to sit behind a veteran for a year or this veteran's got to get this many touches. He can go in. He can make his impact right away. There's also a couple Kentucky guys there, Scalabissier, Willie Cauley-Stein, that he knows as well. I think he likes the idea of going there and the it fans. It can become his team right exactly. away. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, yeah. But, and he's a good kid. And that's, oh, yeah. That's what I've heard is that he has no problem going to Sacramento. Yep. Um, and, and that's good to hear. I, I – I know they've made some changes in the front office, and, and they got some people in there that are really good. Now, Scott Perry, who was in Orlando, was mm-hmm. with Sam Presti uh, when they drafted Westbrook and guys like that. So he, they got some better people in there. Uh, personally, what I would love to see, and I don't think it's going to happen, if I'm Minnesota, I've said this before, they needed to try to get Lonzo. Sure. But I think they should try to move up two slots at five and get De'Aaron. Yeah. I would offer Chris Dunn in the number seven pick. <laughs> I don't know if that gets it done, but last year everybody was raving about Chris, Chris Dunn. Dunn. You yeah. know, I would offer him and the seven to Sacramento yep. to try to get De'Aaron. I, I know they like De'Aaron a lot, though. I don't know if the Kings would give that up. But, okay, if you had to name a sleeper in this draft, who would it be? Uh, if we're talking, like, late – like, if we're talking, like, sleeper relative to, like, the first round, I'm a real big Zach Collins guy from okay. Gonzaga – uh, so this is a guy, I'm thinking a guy that, you know, is not getting a lot, of, not ballyhooed right now, Okay. but four or five years from now, he's going to be a really good player and maybe a star. Okay. Is that uh, who you, you still would stick with, Zach Collins? Yeah, I would stick with him. I'm trying to think, and it's hard without having a computer in front of me, of guys that are in that, like, yep. twelve, you know, 12 to 25 range. I'm, I'm really – the problem is with – once you get past probably those top 12, 13 picks – is that it's a bunch of big guys that are all projects, yeah. right? Like E.K. Anabogu from UCLA, John Collins from Wake Forest, uh, to a smaller degree, Zach Collins, Jared Allen from Texas. So I'm trying to think of who else is in that mix. Uh, not a huge Luke Kennard guy, not a okay. huge Donovan Mitchell guy. I mean, if you get to the back end of the first round, there are guys that I like there that I think will fill very important roles and be good at it, like Jordan Bell from Oregon okay. is a guy, just knows who he is, Rim protector, shot blocker, not an offensive player at all, yeah, and he knows that. And that you know, and sometimes there's a value. That's a good role. Yeah, yeah, and there's, but there's also a value in a guy knowing what he can't do as well as what he can do. I think there's an incredible value in that, and he's the kind of guy. He has compared himself to Tristan Thompson and said, "Look, I've seen how much money Tristan Thompson makes. You yeah. can make a lot of money doing this, you know." <laughs> and, and I have no problem doing that. So he's the guy that I like at the back end of the first round, kind of for the reason that I said. Because at least you're getting a finished product with him. The upside might not be as high as some of those other guys, but at least you kind of know what you're getting from him. What about a bust? A guy that everybody thinks is going to be great and probably won't. So the number one guy to me is Justin Patton from Creighton. Just not a fan. So for people who don't know, he was a very late bloomer in high school to the point that he actually redshirted his first year at Creighton. Like, didn't see the court. They took him off, like, let him get stronger, get more physical, get into a college weight program, whatever. Came out this year, played really well early. A couple things. His production dropped off. One as the season went on. I don't know if that was strictly just not used to the schedule, but also they had a really good point guard named Maurice Watson who went down with an injury, and he was actually leading the country in assists. He was ahead of Alonzo in assists at the time that he got hurt, and Justin Patton just wasn't the same player after that. The other thing with Justin Patton is, is he's one of those guys, and, and it cracks me up because like we in the media, 
always use the term athleticism and like we just throw it around and you yeah, don't really yeah, think yeah. about like what it really means. Justin Patton's one of those guys that kind of looks athletic. He's got long arms. He's got broad shoulders. He doesn't play athletic though. And so I was I, I went back to make sure that I had this right. And he had at the NBA Combine he had the lowest vertical leap of any prospect at the combine which was wow. 30 and a half inches which wow. no Dennis Smith Jr. right there so <laughs> so like to me he's still very much a project offensively and I don't think he's going to be as good defensively as a lot of other people do and then at that point what do you have as somebody was asking about this the other day I said he's the guy that like in six seven years will be on Wikipedia going through this through this draft and be like oh Lonzo was in that draft oh De'Aaron Fox Oh, Justin Patton, I wonder what happened. Oh, he's playing in <laughs> Turkey right now. He's in Greece. Okay. Like, right. to me, he's that guy. He's wow. That guy. Yeah. Okay, okay. Well, let me let me close with this. Five years from now, sure. who are the best three players from this draft? All right, I am going to go. I mean, I'm on, I'm on Jason Tatum Island by myself here, so I, I got to <laughs> stick with him. For all the, re- I, I just think he's going to be able to score. I think he, okay. he's going to be just really good. And I think, by the way, you if think he go- perennial All Star, I do. Okay. And I think, by the way, going to Boston, great fit where they can kind of ease him in. Doesn't have to be the guy right away. You see him more as a three or a four. I mean, I, I've heard people kind of wonder what he is exactly. Yeah, it's a great question. It's so it's so tough to say at this point because the game is like just changing yes, so yes. fast. Yeah, I mean, he played a lot of stretch four Duke, and when Duke actually played their best, he was at the stretch four. I'd have to kind of look at his measurables to see how he would match up with other guys in that position. But, yeah, I would say probably as the game evolves, I would see him more and more of a four, believe it or not, even though he's not, you know, 6'10", 6'11". Like, Jonathan Isaac's like a perfect, you know, stretch four in the modern NBA where Tatum might be a bit small. But I think, I think, like I said, I just think he can score from all over the floor. He didn't shoot great from three-point land this year at Duke, but I think that was an aberration more than anything Mm -hmm. else. So I love him. I love Lonzo for all the reasons that we said, yeah. and, and I just think the other thing too about Lonzo. I was talking to somebody about this, this morning. I the he won't be overwhelmed by playing in L.A., which I think is a big deal that nobody's talking about. Is we just saw D'Angelo Russell get shipped out. Maybe he had a little bit too much fun. Maybe he didn't take things seriously. Yeah. Lonzo's a gym rat. Like his idea, uh, y- you know, of of a fun Friday night is like putting up shots until whatever, and then going to watch his little brother play, you know? And and, and he's been dealing with this media circus since he was in high school because his high school team went undefeated and there was a following there, certainly at UCLA. So I think he's going to be able to handle all those things well. The jump shot, like everybody else, I'm a little concerned by. But, listen, if you're getting 12 assists a night, you yeah, know, you don't yeah, have to yeah. score as much. Um, and let, that, let me ask you this about before you get sure, your sure. third player. Um, how do is Lonzo? Because I've talked to him and Lavar, and we've seen him on all the interviews. Sure. He seems like the polar opposite yeah. of Lavar, but I'm sure there are some similarities there too. You know him pretty well. What what are some of the similarities between Lonzo and Lavar? Um, yeah, I don't or know. Do you see any? Yeah, well, certainly personality wise, no. He lets his dad do the talking yeah. for him, and that's fine. I think one thing that's been a little bit overplayed in this process is like. I interview 19-year-old kids for a living. Most of them don't say very much. Like, not all of them are De'Aaron Fox that's going to tell you exactly (laughs) what's on his mind with a smile on his face, you know? And so I think that that's a little bit overplayed. But what I think think is undersold with Lonzo is his will, his commitment to win. I don't know if that's a trait that mirrors LeVar. I don't know if he got it from LeVar, whatever. But, I mean... That kid hates to lose. And, I mean, there were games, even, like, I know he didn't play well against Kentucky in the NCAA tournament, and that's everybody's lasting image. Mm-hmm. But even in games they lost, I mean, he put the team on his back. They they lost at, to Arizona at Pauley Pavilion, 
he had like the first eight points of the game, and he was the only one that showed up to start that game. And then by the time they figured it out, it was too late. And so I think that that you know personality wise, they're polar opposites. But I think their commitment to basketball, the their their seriousness about basketball and about the prof- like Lonzo's a professional, like he's a pro, mm-hmm. like like he might not be getting paid for another couple of days, but he has acted in 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 accordance as a pro. Like yeah. you never heard anything about him at UCLA off the court. Like I said, he was either always at the gym or at one of his brother's games, and so I think his commitment to winning, his will, I just don't think. I think it's been undersold in this process and I think frankly a lot of it is because people don't like LeVar so they project a lot of it out onto Lonzo I think we forget as I said earlier just how good he was just how dynamic he was with the ball and so yeah I think he's going to be a great pro and then the third guy I I guess probably Markel I just I I really even though I kind of was thinking more De'Aaron but yeah I mean well I I think De'Aaron De'Aaron can get there but he has more questions and, and the way that I've been saying this kind of throughout the process, and again, my thought has kind of evolved as I've talked to more people and kind of understood different angles and different mm-hmm. perspectives, is that Fo- uh, or, or, uh, Fultz probably has the highest basement of anybody in this draft, if that makes sense. Like, if everything goes wrong and he doesn't come close to meeting his potential, he'll still be better yeah. than, in theory, Alonzo, who maybe the jump shot never gets figured out. Maybe, you know, whatever. You know, same with, uh, you know, maybe Tatum, just w- whatever it is. Yeah. But Fultz has the the lowest, uh, has the highest basement. And so because of that, I think Philly knows what they're getting from him. As I said, I think it's a benefit that he doesn't have to be the guy, the star right away. And, oh, by the way, he doesn't have to be in two years. Even if he had gone to Boston, there's a chance they would yeah. move him into Isaiah Thomas's role two years from now. So. So yeah. I think uh, it's a best-case scenario for him. I think because of that, he'll be pretty good. I'd probably have De'Aaron Fox four, though, at that point. Okay. All right, man. Well, a wealth of college <laughs> yeah, basketball try, knowledge, man. man. Great job. Thank you. And thank you for tuning in to In the Zone. You heard it here from Aaron Torres. We're looking forward to the draft, so we'll see you after that. Peace. And if you don't know, now you know. That's it for today's show. Please don't forget to subscribe to In the Zone on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, SoundCloud, or your favorite podcast app, and tell us what you think in the comments. See you next time. Peace. Yeah. I'm in my zone. Yeah. I'm in my zone.